Hey, listeners, ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The best part of spring cleaning is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless and then Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data, unlimited talk and text, delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone and any Mint Mobile plan and bring your own phone number. Along with your existing contacts, ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. My team here, they're on Mint Mobile, and they like it. For a fraction of the cost, Mint Mobile proved to have excellent coverage with no-drop calls or unsent texts. Plus, they make it super easy for me to activate my device just by following a few simple steps online. And bam, done. To get this new customer offer and the new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash literally. That's mintmobile.com slash literally. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash literally. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speeds slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Delaney. Hey. Are you in London? I sure am. So you just gave up the ghost. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome to Literally. I am your host, Robert J. Lowe. J. Lowe. Actually, my middle initials H. Whatever. Um, another Rob. This is Rob Central today. Rob Delaney is here with us, the sage of Twitter. One of the funniest men, um, one of the OGs on Twitter. Um, the guy literally has more movies and TV shows about to come out than anybody in history. Also, uh, Wonderful, sober man um, living a great life and um, off in London, one of my favorite cities. So we got a lot to talk about. So without further ado, let's get at it. I, I moved here now seven and a half years ago, thinking I'd be here for like six months. I moved here for a TV show called Catastrophe. And, and it's not been a catastrophe. The show was it, great. And you no, love London. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. It all worked out. And yeah, we ran for four seasons and we just kind of stayed. You know, life happened uh, as it does. And, uh, you know, London's been good to us. So I get it. I love London. I've worked there a ton. And you kind of when you kind of find your, um, you know, you, you, you're, you get your whatever it is, you figure out your people, your restaurants, your like your your vibes. Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of pretty amazing. 
I'm a massive fan. You know, we certainly didn't flee Los Angeles. Los Angeles is a great place and I we loved living there. Um, you know, we lived in Santa Monica by the beach. It was magnificent. But uh, yeah, we came here and <laughs> this place is nice too. <laughs> what, what were you struck with like when you first moved there? Because it is, it is culture shock. And by the way, anytime you make a television show or a movie mm -hmm. outside of L.A., there are the foibles of the areas that you're you're shooting in. I I have my thoughts and okay. experiences, but I I, <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to poison the well. Tell me what it was like for you, like really shooting a proper show in England. I mean, really great. Um, we were, you know, it was a, a very small budget compared to a big American show, uh, but. You know how that's kind of fun after a certain point in your career to like toggle between like doing a big budget thing, which yeah. you're like, oh, great. They have I can have any kind of berry I want <laughs> whenever I want it from craft services. And that's nice. But then you shoot like what, a half a page a day because of special effects and stuff. So then it's wonderful to go back to something that shoots, you know, quick and dirty. So so Catastrophe was certainly quick and dirty, but it was it was great. Yeah, it was great. Now, whenever I, you know, now I have the very, very good fortune to work on bigger stuff. And whenever I do something smaller, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is this is the fun stuff. I, I remember I was shooting a show there called Wild Bill. And mm -hmm. for I, I guess it was ITV or something. And I was like, um, so we're in a, in a deserted building. We're here all the time. This is our police station. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's on the uh, right by the Hampstead flyover. And no, no, the, uh, sorry, no. What is it called? The, uh, the sort of the Odeon, well, where the hell it was. Anyway, um, <laughs> I was like, would it be too much if we had heat? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm, I was like, I'm not asking to turn the building back on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's a little heat. It, I can see my, I can see my breath. Yeah. And we're indoors. <laughs> and we're indoors. <laughs> You must have done stand up in London since you've been there, right? Oh yeah, yeah, I've done it all over all over the UK and that's amazing because if you want to make a living as a stand up in the US, you got to go to all the different cities and do stand up and you got to fly to Ohio and then to Portland, Oregon and all that. Here, they've got just as many big cities, but they're all in a much smaller area, so you can perform in a 2,500-seater, 5,000-seater, and then drive back to London and be back in your own bed by 1 a.m., wake up and take the kids to school. So stand-up in the U.K. is a much friendlier profession. So that's way better. Do you Did you find a difference in the audiences? Not... The only difference is uh, a British audience wants to talk to you. Uh, and a lot of the stand-ups encourage that. I don't. So, <laughs> no, I, wait. Are you saying are you, are you using a, a euphemism for heckling, or they actually want to? Yeah, not necessarily heckling, but they want to get involved. And I'm not interested in what they have to say. <laughs> not in a mean way. I want them to be having a great time. But you know, I've put a show together, and uh, I'll talk, and you can just sit there and laugh if moved to do so. But you actually don't need to do any work uh, at one of my shows. So, but I think people get the hang of that in the first few minutes of one of my shows, and it all works out. 
um, apparently your kids speak with British accents. I'm told. Yeah, they do. They do, which is uh, wonderful. I really love it, you know, because you love your kids anyway. But then when they speak in a weird little cute voice that's very different from yours, it's even better. So now, what do they are they doing like a northern, a Manchester, a posh? <laughs> like what are they? <laughs> yeah, no, they they have like North London accents, which are fairly kind of standard would be the equivalent of like somebody from California, you know, who doesn't really have an accent. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, East London element in there. So like when my now nine year old, uh, was going to nursery school here, he, uh, the way he pronounced water was just bananas. Cause we say water cause we're American, my wife and I, but then, you know, most of his friends say like water, but then his teachers at the nursery school were like, water. So the way that he said water was some collision of those three things. And it was just insane. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my kids can do a lot of accents more than me. <laughs> like I, 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 think i'm pretty good with accents but i'd be yeah. terrified if i had to professionally do yeah. one I, I don't know if i could do it i mean i think you would have to figure out where your character was from and then work with a dialogue coach because yeah there's too much you, work you, already fuck it no that's yeah, too yeah. much <laughs> i don't want to work that hard <laughs> i just i just don't um tell me about the vasectomy oh sure so we had four boys and we didn't want to have any more. And I wanted my wife to be able to, you know, live life and do more than just like be, you know, a brood mare. <laughs> and so exactly. I, was, I was trying to think of what it would be yeah. more than what a brood. What mare. am I going to say? Yeah. Brood mare. Yeah, I mean, exactly. that's I think yeah. what anybody would have said. Mm -hmm. And, and just to be able to live her life. And, and also she did all the work for decades of taking hormonal birth control pills, which many women who take them aren't like, yay, I want to take a pill every day that messes with my hormones. So it was my pleasure uh, to at least sign up for the best. Getting it, I didn't enjoy as much. Uh, but the aftermath, once you've healed, which is pretty quick, oh my God, it's the best. You don't have to think about it. And these children that I'm doing my best to raise now and, you know, doing a mediocre job, I don't have to worry about another one showing up and, and sort of me doing even worse as I get older. So just, I have kids now that are fantastic and I don't want to have any more. I hear you. Cause it, I always feel like, you know, I had it with, with my wife, we have two boys. Yeah. And we're thinking, do we want a third? Do we, do we want to try it for a girl? Blah, blah, blah. And we did. And it didn't work. And, mm -hmm. and then I, then I started thinking, wait a minute, it's a, a little like being up at a casino. Like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. let's let's declare victory and get off the field. Oh, absolutely. So, what's the school situation? Because that always, I'm always obsessed with um, that private public school there means something different than than it does in the United States. For those of you listening, don't like when you say public school in the United States, it's public school. There, it's the posh schools are the public right. schools. Now, there's a way to explain that where you'll be like, oh, that actually sort of makes sense. And Please, because I need to hear that because I don't okay. get it. So back when nobody went to school, the super rich would have like some scientist from the local university. They would like kidnap him and make him teach 
one family's worth of kids privately. Okay, so that guy would come in your house and you would just have a guy in your house who was teaching you, you know, whatever necromancy and the humors and whatever shit they learned back then. <laughs> and uh, but then what happened was a few of the posh parents, you know, were like, I don't want my kid in my house. Why don't I organize with my neighbor on the next, you know, estate and the one over? We'll get a few of them together and it'll be like a public school it totally costs money and it's a place that we send them but it was public in that it wasn't just your ugly daughter and your stupid son it was everyone's ugly daughters and ugly sons and stupid and all that so that's why they called it public um yeah so my kids go to state school you know which would be public school in um america is what they would call it uh, but they still get to wear adorable uniforms because well, that's uni- really what that's what I was yeah. getting at. Because <laughs> yeah. until until you've experienced the gaggle of kids walking around London in those insane <laughs> uniforms, yeah, that's fantastic. Is there anything cuter? Is there anything cuter? I don't think there is. You know, and they don't have to worry about what they're going to wear. So I'm massively pro uh, uniform because they look so friggin' cute. Same. My kids went to schools where they had to wear uniforms as mm-hmm. well. And A, they looked super cute all the time. <laughs> and, and there was never any, well, Billy has that and Johnny has this and I want to dress like, no, nah, I want to whatever. It was just like, they just wore what they had to wear. Yeah, yeah. When I was watching the Beatles documentary, which I'm obsessed with, all it made me do, well, not all, but it really made me want to eat a lot of toast. Because they mm. eat so much toast, so much yeah. toast in those wonderful little. Presi- they don't have them in the United States where those little like, it's a, they give you that little metal thing with all the little toasts standing yeah. up, <laughs> a little rack of toast, yeah, the, a rack of toast. <laughs> what? Come mm-hmm. on, we've we've thought of a lot of stuff in America. Why yeah. have we not thought of the rack of toast? Well, the big thing Americans need is the electric kettle. I mean, like I grew up with my mom drinking tea, but she like had a kettle that went on the stove. And it took yes, forever. And whistle. Whereas yes. in the UK, people use the electric kettle. You get your hot water in a jiffy. You're boiling. You're piping hot boiling water in a jiffy. Cup of tea. Here you go. Didn't take any time at all. So if you don't have, if you're American and you're listening and you don't have an electric kettle, you just got to get one. Would you say, would it be incorrect <laughs> to say that you were one of the early Twitter voices? I don't, because I think you've been around forever on Twitter. I can remember following you from from the jump and i think you were like one of the first the first guys i ever followed and always made me made me laugh i mean i think twitter's oh, been a big thing for you right don't you oh, think it was massively helpful yeah because so if i joined in 2009 at that time i'm paying more for a plane ticket to get to minneapolis from la than i'm getting paid by the club in minneapolis to perform there you That's know what i mean unreal. So, so that type of thing, and I'm submitting uh, joke packets to, you know, Letterman, Leno, everybody trying to get on uh, the staff of a late night show as a writer. So I'm constantly writing short jokes. I'm not getting hired. And uh, I am doing stand up every night. And so 
I'm just amassing jokes all the time, uh, but having a hard time getting paid for them. So yeah, so it was really right time, right place for me. I was one of the, the people in the beginning, you know, comedians who were like, oh, you don't have to just tell people what you're eating for breakfast on here. You can you can do jokes and try to entertain people. So so yeah, I was very fortunate uh, that Twitter came along when it did because because then you know as people more people followed me, then I could say like, hey, guess what? You know, uh, I'm coming to Minneapolis, and then I would sell more tickets, bigger place, make money. And so it was very, very helpful. You're so funny. And there have been so many I've liked over the years. I'm just wondering if you have a favorite. You know what? I'm going to tell you because uh, you were on Parks and Rec. And just earlier, a couple hours ago, uh, my wife and I were talking and I remembered a Megan Amram tweet. And she was a writer um, on She's amazing. On She's amazing. Yes. I mean, a, literally a genius. And she had one that was... Um, if life begins at conception, then I can use the carpool lane for the next few days. <laughs> it's such <laughs> insane. I mean, that is better than most novels, and mm-hmm. it's like this long. So, so that was that's an example of what Twitter was before, you know. So I'm not crazy that that Twitter's changed, right? Oh, no. I mean, I, I, you know what I did a few months ago that was very wonderful was, uh, I unfollowed everyone. So I don't have a feed anymore. There's no, I don't see anything. So I don't know what people are mad about. Not, not mad, mad. That's in quotes. In in air Uh, quotes. Yeah. You know, so I don't know the thing that had, I don't know. And it's great. So, but you still know what's trending, right? You still know what's trending. I can look and see what's trending or I can, if something's truly trending, it'll be in a, you know, a a news source and then that's fine. But there's too much information. We don't know what to do with it. Like even when they came up with CNN, 24 hour news, there isn't 24 hours of news and in a day it's not. So we need to know much less. I think a biweekly publication uh, that gets delivered to us by uh, not even a horse, but a, some type of slower four-legged thing, like uh, maybe a camel. I think it can be pretty fast, a camel. So, uh, you know, yeah, You I remember know. When, I, when I was a kid, like Time Magazine meant something and you would be like, oh, yeah, you couldn't wait. But well, like in the news in Time Magazine would have been, old, quote unquote, old. Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't care. It was more than enough. That's all we don't need. Like when there's a new variant of COVID, I'm like, you know what? We, I don't need to know that. I know wear a mask indoors, uh, get a vaccination I, as you name the variants. I don't need to know. I can't do anything with that information. I don't need to know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I loved, I loved Twitter. I'm still on it, but not, not quite as much as I, as I used to be, but I, I loved it for um, the discipline, particularly when it was like, like, before they expanded how much you could write yes. like the discipline. If you had a joke or a thought, yeah, I loved that. And that's like, like the Megan Amram thing you're talking about. It's like, so it's, it's so much satisfaction per word. Yeah. There's nowhere else you can really get that. Summer is almost here. Are you ready to throw open your windows? or throw them away. If they're drafty, foggy, or impossible to clean, talk to your friends at Window World. 
Window World specializes in home transformation with beautiful, energy-efficient windows, entry doors, and siding, featuring Energy Star certification and the good housekeeping seal. Call 1-800-WINDOW-WORLD, schedule your free consultation, and tell them you heard about it here on Literally the Rob Lowe. Window World, America's exterior remodeler. Where else can you go surfing and skiing in the same day? Or check out a world-class art museum and camp out under a brilliant night sky same day. Or hike through the redwoods and get a luxury spa treatment. There's only one answer. California. No matter where you go across this state, you will find a way to play. Look, I love California. Um... And I have not yet surfed and skied in the same day, although I do do both. So that is on my bucket list. It's the most beautiful place in the world. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. Looking for a sparkling clean bathroom without so much hassle? Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner is here to revolutionize your cleaning future. Just spray today rinse tomorrow and voila enjoy a sparkling clean shower and tub without any scrubbing it's the secret to a hassle-free clean bathroom that many are discovering with over 33,000 five-star reviews wet and forget weekly shower cleaner has proven its effectiveness on shower glass fixtures tiles and more ensuring everything shines with minimal effort this product has gained a loyal following thanks to its once-a-week application that makes it a standout in the cleaning aisle. Join the ranks of satisfied users who enjoy more me-time and less clean time with Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner, available at Amazon, Lowe's, Menards, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware. It's the perfect choice for anyone wanting to simplify their cleaning routine. Don't miss out on a chance to transform your bathroom cleaning with just one application a week. Pick up a bottle of Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner today and join the thousands who've already made the switch to Effortless Clean. I am days away from my 20th anniversary of sobriety. And uh, I know that you're a sober guy. So, so since it was so close to my anniversary, I was like, yeah, uh, I'd like to talk to Rob Lowe. And happy birthday to you. Keep Thank coming you. back. It works if you work it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I love talking to people who are in our little club. I love it. I, I, I just and I, I knew that you had you got 20 years, man. That's not nothing. Man, it's crazy. Just bananas. And and obviously a life changer for you. I'm very, very dramatically. Yeah. I mean, 20 years ago, I was, um, you know, in jail in a wheelchair Uh because I had I had driven a car into a building in L.A. and uh, thank God no one else got hurt, no one else was involved, just me and a building, and uh, yeah, coming to surrounded by cops and doctors and being like, so what's uh, what's going on, folks? What's what's happening here? So a blackout. And, oh yeah, yeah. I uh, had drank into a blackout and then gone to bed for the night, which is really terrifying, and then at some point got up and thought, you know what? I should go for a little drive. And, um, 
Yeah, I drove into a building, I think, um, near the intersection of Pico and Genesee. And uh, she put a plaque there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, then, you know, a judge said, hey, man, you should uh, should very seriously consider uh, a residential rehab facility unless you'd like to go to jail for longer. And I said, rehab sounds great. And I was wondering, yeah, I spent, I was there for 28 days, um, as is uh, often the case with uh, folks like like us. And uh, man, oh, Christ, it was the best. And See, then, I love that you're saying this because that's what I say when people <laughs> ask me about rehab. It was, yeah. I loved every minute of it because I felt like, oh, so this is why. I am doing what I'm doing and oh, so that's a great tool. Like it was yeah. literally like every day I had these epiphanies Yeah, and, and I was always a, a pleasure to have in class in school. Like I mm-hmm. really studied, I was really like diligent. So mm-hmm. smart people were teaching me about a way of life that I didn't know mm-hmm. anything about and no one had ever talked to me about. And, and I, I, I just, I, I, I never, I never felt like I was, like I was somewhere where I didn't want to be or I was counting yeah. days to get out or, but the thing is, is you, you clearly, you had that one thing that you have to have going in for success, which is you were done and you were ready to learn yeah. and be to move on. Yeah. You, weren't, you, you didn't have any illusions still, did you? Or did you? No, I, no, I didn't. I was really lucky because, you know, both my arms were broken. I had to have surgery on both of them. And, uh, so I was, you know, really, uh, temporarily crippled and needed help to do stuff. And so that was super humbling. And then at the same time, because of the car crash that I didn't even remember, you know, that's when I realized that my drinking was, you know, potentially, I mean, that's the type of thing where you could kill a family, you know, by driving, running them off the road or something. So, and I had wanted, I had tried to quit many times before. And, but this was, but just cause I was like miserable or my girlfriend broke up with me or, you know, I had health issues from alcohol, you know, small stuff. But when I realized that I could kill people, that's when I said, you know what? I actually don't want to drink that much. Um, and so I, yeah, was very, very lucky. Did you ever have that moment where you're like, wait a minute. So does this mean well, if I ever get married, I want to have a champagne toast with my bride? Or if I ever have a kid, I'm not going to have a glass of whiskey to celebrate it. What kind of life is this going to be? Did you ever have those early thoughts? on, early on, I had the thought, maybe... If I get out of here, and this is so delusional because at the time I didn't have a nickel and I was like unemployable and such a disaster, but this is my thought process. If I get out of here and am sober for a long time and also become quite successful, then maybe like when I'm in my 60s, I could hire a bodyguard to protect other people from me and then I could drink. Like that's <laughs> so that's in, amazing the, in the early months it. of sobriety, I thought like, maybe, maybe I could do that. I don't want to do that anymore, but, which is, I think it's, it's sort of good that I admit that because it goes to show you, you don't have to have a perfect game plan for the next five decades. It's just one step at a time. 
Yeah, I had a psycho thought. That's why they say one. That's why they say one day at a time because that yeah. that yeah. thinking is look. It's it's better than nothing. At yeah. least in that thinking, you're like, I'm going to be sober till I'm sixty. At least, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, not bad. <laughs> so now you're in London. The the recovery world is still. I'm just going to say it. It's still not as Im- embedded in the culture there. What could we invent right now? That's our version of the pub. Okay, so for me. I'm happy, like I'm one of those people who, I don't do it often because I have kids and a, a career that I enjoy, so I'm not out a lot sort of extracurricularly, but whenever I do do it, I enjoy myself, but I will often leave early, not because I don't want to be where the fun is, but a bar or a party or wherever the stuff is, they don't have iced coffee which I will absolutely drink at midnight and have no problem going to sleep. Yeah. And they don't have ice cream, which if I could just have a milkshake while you're having your fourth IPA, I'll stay. So I think for me, they don't need a separate thing. But if bars had the had coffee on tap and good ice cream, um, like the mug of... Ben and Jerry's Netflix and chilled that I just ate uh-huh. before I did this podcast, um, then I'd stick around. So I, I think if places just broaden their, broaden their horizons a little bit, I'm staying. I like it. Why don't we do that? We should <laughs> yeah. open a, it'd be our, it, our version of Wahlburgers. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, if Mark Wahlberg can open a chain of hamburger restaurants, yeah. Come you on. and I can open a, well, okay, well, so. let's name, we, we got to name it though. Rob's. Yeah, Rob's. Well, it has to be Rob's because there's t- with an S because there's two of us. Yeah, Rob's. And they're like, you put the apostrophe in the wrong place. And then we come around the corner together, arm and arm, like, no, no we didn't. didn't. <laughs> um, can, I have a favor to ask. Uh, in the advertising for it, would you mind reprising uh, your performance of Liberace's Doctor from Behind <laughs> the Candelabra? Which I just want to say is... Things, when they happen, aren't always recognized as the seismic event that they are. But I think in 50, 75, 100 years ago, people are going to be like, it'll be like, you know what good acting was? And then that's what they're going to show. Wow. That performance, my wife and I lost our fucking minds. You were so brilliant uh, (laughs) in that movie, which is so watchable. Jesus Christ, is that good? It's an amazing movie. And you're and, amazing. Yeah. And well, well, thank you. What, what's funny about it, and I had Steven Soderbergh on the show uh, recently. Oh, cool. And it, who directed the movie. I had never met Steven. I had never auditioned for Steven. Fan forever. Never even, literally never even had any interactions particularly. And I got a call out of the blue and I'd been following the fact that they were making that show. It was a, mm. I, was, I was aware of it because I was like, oh my God, how great is this movie? Soderbergh, Michael Douglas is Liberace, Matt Damon is the boy toy. I'm so down to see yeah. this. And then he called and just offered me this part. I didn't have the script yet, <laughs> and but I knew I was, I didn't care what it was. I was going to yeah. do it. And yeah. then I got the script and all it said was, it said, you know, Dr. Starts, looks like he's plastic and very pulled. That's, and I, so I had this sort of idea of what I wanted to do. And I called Soderbergh and I said, listen, I, I don't know the tone particularly or how big a swing you're willing to put up with, but I have a 
pretty big idea if you're down. And he was like, oh, the bigger, the better. The, hence, you end up with that in <laughs> lunatic performance. Oh, oh, so good. So good. You know, I, I, I um, it may be, you may have been out of L.A. too long to appreciate this, but I based the look on these type of men that I would see at the Laker games, mm. but, 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 but not, not courtside and not in bad seats. It was very specific about the type of mm. guy, hipster, cool, yeah. like guy that would be in like kind of really good seats, but not yeah, great yeah. ones. So good. <laughs> Dr. Starts, um, it would, which also proved to me again, that, um, that old adage that there are no small parts. God, no. Jesus, Lord. If you, if you ever watch it again, the, my, the opening scene where I'm sitting in a two-shot with Matt Damon, he can't look at me. Because he, he could not look at me and not laugh. He oh, does not look at me. Joyous. I literally joyous. have to grab him by the chin, which I do, <laughs> and turn his face to me. Speaking of, I mean, you're in a gazillion... When they sent me everything you were working on right now, it's like literally seven pages long. Well, yeah. You know, the pandemic, I think sort of like made a lot of stuff piled up on each other. You got your Jason Statham, Guy Ritchie movie. Mm-hmm. You got your Vince Vaughn show. Yeah, you got yeah. your Matthew Vaughn. You got your yeah. Judd Apatow, <laughs> your Paul yeah. Feig. I mean, Jesus, oh dude, what, how much of you, there's only one of you. How do you do <laughs> it? Wow. To hear you say that, that does sound, that's that sound. I, I like the sound of that. Um, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of, some, a lot of those parts are small, so they didn't take that long to do. Um, but yeah, you know, it's funny. No, I didn't get cast in anything until I made my own show. And uh, then people realized that I didn't stink that up too badly. And then, you know, work begets work. And, you know, uh, yeah, my favorite thing is to get hired by somebody a second time. That's that's when I'm like, yes, you know, when they knew when you... You showed up on time. You knew your lines. You were nice to people, and and I think a lot of those shot in London. You, you know, funny uh, Paul Feig's uh, School of Good and Evil shot in Belfast, and we were like, you know, in a field, and uh, you know, some like parking lot next to a field where it's all our trailers, and they were like, "What do you want for lunch?" And I was like, "Oh God, this is going to be good," and uh, you know, they gave me the options. The food was insanely good uh in belfast in belfast yeah not even not even in belfast like outside of belfast and i was like christ what are they gonna do and uh so i remember i got like the vegetarian option to like be safe and uh it was unbelievable and so i ordered like one of each for every subsequent meal and it was oh my god i hope that movie gets a sequel because i want to go back well you know a movie company is like an army it really is and you know and an an army has to be fed and when you're when the food is good it's great i I, here's the thing i gotta ask you about i'm sure you've signed five thousand ndas on it Hmm? dream mission impossible seven right um with my boy yeah 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 with my boy, the the last surviving movie star, Mr. Thomas Cruise. That was remarkable. I so Christopher McQuarrie, McHugh as they call him, uh, lives in London, and they produce those movies out of London. And so I've gotten to know him a little bit. Um, and so yeah, he called me and he said, "Do you want to come do 
the new mission. And I was like, yeah, kind of, because look, there's a lot of great movies out there, a lot of great franchises, but I don't see them all. How can you, you know? And however, the Mission Impossibles I see in the theater on purpose. And so it is my favorite franchise. And um, they just, man, they just deliver every time. So, so yeah, so I, I uh, spent a week on that and it was incredibly fun. Both Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie were unbelievably generous with their time. Um, you know how if they're changing camera setups, usually an assistant director will say, okay, you're going to have probably 25 minutes where you can go do whatever you want and then we'll call you back. With this, they never did that. They would go to change your setup, but they wouldn't tell us that they were done with it. And then they would just like do an impromptu film school and explain, you know, kind of casually why we're going to switch to this lens. And the reason we need to get it from up here is because we want to say this. And so they, it was really fun because you were super involved and it was a really a pleasurable experience and a, and a great set to be on. Um, That's amazing. I, they don't bring out chairs though. So I did stand for a full week without interruption. So my legs and back hurt a lot, but in the world of Tom Cruise, pain is not, you know, you don't say like, Oh, my leg or back hurts, you know, or you, you know, somebody you could yes, flying kick to the head, anything could happen. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen Tom sit on a set. <laughs> the best was we hadn't seen, we hadn't seen each other in years. Mm-hmm. And I was doing the West Wing on the lot at Warner Brothers. And Tom was shooting on the back lot, um, uh, uh, Minority Report. And he came to visit me. He goes, come on to the set, come on to the set. So I'm, I, at lunch, I went to his set. And we're just talking casually. Yeah. And he goes, come on, come on up. We just we'll watch us do this shot. And I follow him up this back side of a back lot building to the roof. And I figure... Oh, he's shooting, you know, a scene on a roof, whatever. And he, we're talking and he's getting, I do notice he's getting plugged into these cables uh-huh. and, and the, and they're like, all right, we're ready. You ready, Tom? You're ready. Yeah. And he's hang on just one second and action. And he runs across the roof and jumps four stories down <laughs> like it's nothing. And then he does yeah. that, that amazing Tom laugh. And you're like, this guy is, there's no one like him. Yeah, no, I, not that I've ever encountered. I'm pumped for Mission Impossible. Something, you know, there's a great story where he, um, I forget what, what Mission Impossible it was, where one of the directors, I think it was Joe Carnahan, um, for whatever reason, didn't and was doing it and then didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And Tom was asked about it. And he said, listen, I told Joe, they don't call it Mission Difficult. Yeah. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided they had something better to offer. So instead of charging the same old ridiculous prices, Harry's found a way to make their beautifully designed razors, and they are beautiful, for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. 
They have the highest customer satisfaction in shaving history and a no-risk trial. Don't like your shave? No worries. It's on them. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. And Harry's also has other self-care products that meet the same quality standards as their razors. Richly lathering, skin-softening body wash and scents like Redwood, Wildland, and Stone. And an extra high-quality, amazing-smelling deodorant for just five bucks. I love their stuff. I'm so impressed by Harry's products. All of it. It's all good. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash rob. That's harrys.com slash rob for a $3 trial set. The weather is getting warmer. It's time to ditch the jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. But there's no need to waste money on clothes that only last one season with Quince. Now you can get high quality pieces that never go out of style. You'll be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts for $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering with the top factories, Quince cuts out the middleman and passes the savings directly onto you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. My producer recently made an order for Quince, and here's what he had to say. I'm really excited to revamp my closet with Quince. I cannot wait for my items to arrive from Quince. You know, I'm a sweater guy. I was looking at that burgundy cashmere crew neck. I love the blue chore jacket. Maybe I'll throw some joggers in there. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash rob for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash rob to get free shipping and 360 day returns. Quince.com slash rob. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high performance EVs. They're certainly out here there. But when I when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it, it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. SiriusXM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash EV6. Kia, movement that inspires. I'm also kind of have a minor obsession with Jason Statham. I've done two movies with him. I did... um... Hobbs and Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw and Wrath of Man by Guy Ritchie. My son, John Owen, who's a young writer, smarty pants in Mm -hmm. the business, uh, says, and 
that the first half of Hobbs and Shaw might be the perfect movie. He's, mm. I need to see it because he's he's obsessed with the first. Not that the, the I don't know about the second, but he's obsessed mm-hmm. with the first half of Hobbs and Shaw. Hopefully, that's the part you were in, just the first half, and then you oh, of course it. Of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Statham's great. Honestly, um, he is different to act opposite than anybody else that I, I've acted opposite because, you know, he was like a diver and an athlete and he just comes at it from a whole different angle. So wait, uh, a you diver, know, wait, 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 a diver in that like an Olympic diver or like a diver in, a, in like the, a Scooby-Doo diver suit who is soldering underwater pipes or something. I don't believe he was in the Olympics, but yes, he did uh, like, yeah, could go up on the high thing and go like plump and make no splash like that type of thing. And, uh, you know, and obviously an amazing martial artist and all this stuff. So, so, uh, but you know, he didn't go to RADA or Juilliard. And so he, a, a lot of times when acting opposite him, you're like, is he really, am I, are we acting? Are you really? Cause this is, sca- I'm scared. You're scary. And I think, are you really like, it's kind of fun to, cause it, you know, it's not like somebody, you know, who, you know, is like, you know, warming up their technique. Yeah, and, I was going to ask what, what, what was yeah. his, uh, he didn't have a Juilliard warm up. I, I did a, yeah. On, on West Wing, Brad Whitford was the Juilliard guy, and he never let you okay. forget it because you could always oh, wow. there. There's always like a bada 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 before you'd act. I can't handle that stuff. Oh man, that is amazing. Um, I think it's perfectly good to act for a living. Absolutely, it's no better or worse than any profession. I just think that you should be ashamed of yourself most of the time for doing it. That's all. That's what I'm saying. Is like I'm good. Look, we all got to do what we got to do to get there, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, whatever yeah, 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 it's yeah, all yeah. good. But, but like I, 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 if I'm doing, and like I'm doing that in the trailer yeah. alone. Oh, oh, big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd much rather have you walk in on my masturbating than have me be like, grip top, give me the gift of a grip top sock. Yeah, no. Right? In like with a slate in front of you. Yeah. And action. No. So good. Oh, so in the Judd Apatow movie, The Bubble, so many people are in it who I love and are friendly with. Yeah. Did you, so it's, this has got David Duchovny, one of my great friends. Fred Armisen, Leslie Mann, among others. Did you get to work with any of those folks? Uh, all my stuff was with Karen Gillan. Mm. And uh, yeah, I've met a lot of those folks and I know a lot of the folks. But yeah, Karen, uh, all my stuff was with her because I play her agent uh, in the film. And oh, amazing. How great is it when you get to play agents? Well, you know what? It's funny because my agent oh. is such a piece of shit. The one oh, that yeah, I play. Yes, of course. And it's oh, yeah. funny. I'm like, why do we so? Because nowadays, if you were a real monster, people are going to find out. So you can't be too disgusting anymore. And well, so, like, anymore. my yeah. anymore. Okay. So, but like, my real life agents are wonderful people. Like, I like them. You know what I mean? So it's funny because I was like trying to be the most disgusting possible <laughs> character I could be. And, you know, Judd Apatow encourages a lot of improvisation. So I'm like, how do I, how do I make him worse? And, uh, but then I'm like, wait, will my agent see this? And 
will his feelings be hurt? Because he, you know, and it's so funny. I love that you still think agents have feelings. <laughs> to me, that's the headline of this interview. Oh, yeah. Is Rob Delaney is mentally ill? <laughs> I mean, I played an agent in Thank You for Smoking. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I based it off a very famous agent that I knew. Mm, okay. And they never knew. Okay, good. <laughs> Delaney, you're the best, man. Thanks for staying up, man. I really appreciate it. Nice one. Well, as the sun sets in London and Rob Delaney crawls quietly into his wife's bed, the sun is still up in Los Angeles and Rob Lowe leaves the studio to go watch football until the sun sets in Los Angeles when the eagle will fly. <laughs> anyway, that was fun. Such a fun. What a great guy. Um, and now I see the light is flashing on the answering machine here in the studio. What? 75 messages. Oh, my God. Hello, you've reached literally in our lowdown line, where you can get the lowdown on all things about me, Rob Lowe. 323-570-4551. So have at it. Here's the beep. Hey, Rob. Lenny calling from the great state of Georgia, home of the current national champion, Georgia Bulldogs. That feels good to say. I was wondering, with your sons now being grown up, what some of their favorite Rob Lowe productions are out of your vast library of films and TV shows. Also, had to say my wife, daughter, and I love The Grinder, the sitcom you did a couple years ago with Fred Savage. That was some classic TV comedy and hated to see the network not renew that for a year, too. Big mistake on their part. Someone needs to pick that back up. Well, first of all, thank you for being a, a fan of The Grinder. Um, any, anyone listening who has not seen The Grinder... Um, you can now get it on Tubi, which is yet another platform that's out there. But um, I'm excited because I want more people to see it. It's my favorite uh, thing I've I've done com- comedically, maybe other than Parks and Rec. Anyway, my boys, because they're my boys and they love to give me hell, um, they're very proud of the fact that they don't know much of my work, which makes me laugh. Um, but they do like Parks and Rec. And... Honestly, that might be it. Um, They refuse to watch any of my 80s movies because there might be a chance of them seeing me naked, is what they tell me. And you know what? I can't argue with that logic. Thank you so much. Tune in next week, everybody. Tune in. I urge you to do it. I also urge you to give us a nice five-star review on Apple. And uh, don't forget um, Parks and Recollection, where we do a deep dive on everything Parks and Recreation related. And I will see you next week on Literally. You've been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe, produced and engineered by me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Our researcher is Alyssa Grawl. Our talent bookers are Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. And music is by Devin Bryant. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Literally with Rob Lowe. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s. 
1975 to be exact, with semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. 